Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. Earlier this season, we invited BHDP's four market leaders onto the podcast to discuss their predictions for 2021 in the episode, Looking Back and Looking Beyond. This episode, 2021 in the Rearview, the higher education market, is part of a four-part series where we explore the predictions made for the year. What do we get right? What do we get wrong? And what do we foresee for 2022? I'm your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and our guest today is Paul Orbit, BHDP's higher education market leader, to discuss trends and tensions of colleges and universities. Paul, thanks for coming in today. In 2020, we saw colleges and universities sending students, faculty, and staff home overnight and adapting to online learning and remote work. So for 2021, you predicted that hybrid learning would become a mainstay in higher education and that funding priorities would change to focus on more specific initiatives. Did you get that right? What, what's that look like? Yeah, I, I, I think we were. Um, so let me tackle those kind of as two separate issues. Sure, there. sure. Uh, yeah. In terms of hybrid, we have seen schools leverage that during the pandemic. But we've seen a resounding return to in-person learning because of the students' desire and, and the faculty administration's desire to have them on campus. So uh, I think it is augmented uh, education. It's, it's there as a tool. But I really don't believe that it's going to completely replace that in-person experience for most campuses. We did see the hybrid workforce obviously become important in higher ed as well. Yes. And we saw some efficiencies of people realizing that maybe some meetings they used to travel for could happen remotely and save everyone time and effort. Sure. And it allows more people to participate that may be yes. geographically restricted. Well, and, you know, in terms of the, the funding being more strategic, that definitely has happened. I think as, as any business goes through a tough time, people really need to double down on what's, what's important as a differentiator, where they're going to invest to grow and be sustainable. And we saw that happen in higher ed as well coming out of the pandemic. Does that have an impact on doing capital projects? Has that slowed, stopped, or people just thinking about them differently? I would say right now it's people thinking about them differently. It certainly has not stopped. We haven't seen that much slowdown yet, uh, partially because of the pent-up demand that happened from the first year of this and where things were uh, moving slower or stalled. But I, I think what I'm seeing is people being more strategic about where they are going to invest and, and really questioning maybe some of the past initiatives to say, are these still valid for the future? Right. Uh, maybe they were raising money for a, a building around a certain program like the arts. Well, if they haven't implemented that project yet, you know, they may be saying, is that really where we're going to grow? Or should we be investing that money somewhere else where it's going to make a greater impact? To campus and the sustainability of, of the institution. Sure, into those like augmented and virtual technologies and just, you know, maybe there's something more uh, future looking, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, where's the growth going to happen? Maybe yeah. health sciences, for instance, right? you know, versus the traditional arts. Very cool. So we have a thing, we've been calling it the great resignation, but a lot of people change jobs, move jobs, left jobs. Has that affected the higher education market? It certainly is affecting, uh, I think, everyone. We are seeing uh, more mobility, uh, more moves, especially on the leadership side of campuses, um, I think for a couple reasons. I also think you see more leadership changes if results are not occurring. Maybe you see boards of trustees making a decision to bring in a new president quicker than maybe we saw in the past. 
But uh, like many industries, I think there's also a talent shortage. There's a lot of need out there and, and probably not enough people to fill the roles. So uh, campuses are competing against each other for the talent, just like the rest of us are in, in our own respective businesses. It was interesting during the pandemic, I actually know one professor from University of Cincinnati that moved his family to Utah because everything was remote while they were working. And sure. they've since came back, but it was just like there was an opportunity there to try something different. Yeah. If they were going to isolate anyway, why not do it someplace fun? When you talk about arts and such, you know, uh, as a f former fine arts major, you can't really do your sculpting class. You don't have access to the forge right. in your home or your apartment and campus, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It makes it a little more challenging on those group projects, right? Yes, indeed. There are certain things you just need to be there for. So how is technology? going to impact higher education? Like, how is it now, and what do you see coming? Well, I mentioned earlier, I think it will continue to augment the education experience. Some examples of what we're seeing out there, talking to clients, especially those on the marketing communication side, uh, what they learned during the pandemic was technology was an excellent way to connect with prospective students that may be further away. So not having to travel or have students travel to visit campus because they couldn't, they were able to reach them through social media, through an online experience for admissions. We, we've seen leadership discuss maybe, hey, it was easier to communicate with our board of trustees during this because instead of everyone having to travel in for a meeting, we were able to do it via Zoom, uh, online, engage people, or even engaging donors. I think people learned how to make those as effective as they could be. So there was a time savings there, an efficiency that I think won't entirely go away. On the student side, I think they expect more communication through technology, not only coming out of the pandemic, but it was already there. This just accentuated that need. Yeah. So you see more people engaging through technology, whether it's in the admissions process or once students are on campus, that messaging, constant reinforcement of the mission, the vision, the values, and really that value proposition of the institution. And Brian, that doesn't even get into the educational aspects, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, technology for the most part, won't replace that on-campus experience, but it is a great tool to help strengthen that or give students another vehicle to access information. Lecture capture and having the ability to go back and watch that lecture on your own time is very popular. Students are, I think, expecting that now, which allows maybe people to spend more time with that in-person experience, the group projects or the making, the things that you have to be present hands-on to your point about you know, ceramics. Yes. Well, it would have been very challenging when I was in school to pass architectural history had it not been that the professor recorded all of his lectures and you could listen to them on your iPod. But there's that level of expectation to access for information and how quickly you can get to it, that it's interesting what education is doing, how closely they pay attention to this hybrid environment can impact the working community, because that's where the new skills come from. There's certainly a direct connection there. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know? And students making that transition from a higher education environment to the workplace, that can either be a positive experience and be a smoother transition, or if there's great contrast, it could be very difficult right. Right, for someone to make that jump. Interesting. Um, How have schools fared in matching their online experience to their in-person experience? Because a lot of that focus was that campus wow, and then suddenly everything went online. How are they doing? Yeah, you know, actually, we recently did a national survey of admissions officers to look at that. And, you know, it came back, for the most part, I think it was probably about two-thirds of respondents felt like they were doing that fairly well. 
But that's a place where we see everyone can make incremental improvement. Sure. If you imagine a student now making a lot of those initial decisions about what schools they want to look at from an admissions process, that's happening online. They're gaining these perceptions, preconceived notions of what this campus is like based on what they see online, most likely on their phones, maybe a virtual tour. And then they arrive in person. And that authenticity or gap in authenticity is very important. It can make or break, I think, the admissions experience for someone's first time on campus. So that's a place where we're encouraging our clients to really look at how can you make an improvement, even if you think you're doing it pretty well, if everyone can you know, make an incremental improvement there, I think it would show results on the admissions numbers. Sure, and it takes some of that anxiety out of it, and yeah. then it gives people that lane of preference. The questions that you ask clients when you engage with them, have they changed? Are their strategies evolving? What are you seeing that's different about the way you're engaging with universities? The first thing I'd say there is I think the question of why is even more important now than ever. Right? Yes. With Constrained resources, we have to constantly question, is this the right move for a capital improvement project? Is this the right need? And are we solving the problem the right way? I think what we're going to see moving forward is where a, a campus may have done a handful of projects over you know, a, a period of two or three years, they're now going to be able to invest in one or two. Right. So we have to make sure that those one or two are really going to fit the strategy, help implement a strategy, and ultimately get results, meaning bring students in and retain students on campus. We're asking our clients a lot more about why is this critical? How does this align with your academic strategic plan from an investment? Are we sure that it includes the amount of flexibility you're going to need for the future so that we can help position campuses not only for that growth, but a sustainability to not have to reinvest in those facilities again soon? Yeah, just keep asking yeah. you know, five times or whatever until right. you get to the real root of the issue. Buildings are expensive. And you don't want to do it more than once if you don't have to, but if you can plan for that growth, like if you can kind of project how that's going to go, you can take a phased approach. Is that something that universities are looking at? I think absolutely, especially for some of the smaller institutions or or resource constrained, that idea of phasing in a project is positive in a couple ways. Number one, it spreads that investment out over a longer period of time. The initial phase does give you an opportunity to show donors in the campus community that you are making improvements. And I think there's an inherent excitement, positive energy that comes with changes on campus that tend to encourage people to get involved in helping fund those in the future, right? So seeing dirt move gets the donor excitement going. (laughs) Even the slightest campus improvements keep students engaged because they say, wow, something's always improving here, something's happening. That phasing also gives you the opportunity to say, okay, we know what we need in the next couple of years, but beyond that, there's too many questions. And, oh, and yeah. you know, I think that's the other thing that has changed is anyone that says I can see out five or 10 years of what my needs are going to be, probably really good, <laughs> have a really good crystal ball that most don't, right? Because I, I think so <laughs> or many are things a time are traveler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so many things are going to change that we yeah. have to look at planning in a shorter time When the pandemic came, there were people that said that the horizon was right for an event like this to happen, but the impact that it had, I don't know that anybody fully realized that that would trickle through everything. Uh, Paul, within higher education, who are the major influencers right now? And that could be the universities, or is it the students driving the truck from the back, or the educators? Like, how's that going? I actually thought about this question in a couple ways. I mean, Great. I think certainly um, the students have a lot of influence right now. It is, 
in in any industry you'd call it right now the buyer's market because uh, there is so much choice out there. You know, students have a lot of options and and they really have the opportunity to pick what institution is that best for fit for them for not only their academic experience but their social experience, their residential experience on campus. You know, I think there's other influencers out there that are maybe non-traditional. There's the online content providers like Coursera, right, who's taking content from many different institutions and offering that online. And they're influencing, obviously, that that hybrid or online experience. You have other institutions out there, like a Denison University um, here in Ohio, I would say, is a major influencer because they've created what they call their EDGE program, which is providing programs and trainings to students to help them be career ready. It's adding value to their degree because it's helping prepare them better for that career experience as they graduate and and actually extending that support for several years after their point of graduation. We spoke to, what was it, the Ultimate Medical Academy. Turns out that they're very seriously invested in their students and their student experience and making sure that they are prepared to not just work, but that they have a plan going beyond. They are addressing like food insecurities for their students and making sure that they're taken care of and learning and giving them a skill that can be valuable. So it's it's wild. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've taken that experience of the students beyond the time they're spending in a class, right? Yes. Extending it into their entire life while they're enrolled in the institution. What else is on your mind? Well, I I think it's, it's a time of great change. I see opportunities out there, right? I think this is going to encourage and in some instances force people to rethink their strategy, focus on what's a differentiator for them, and ultimately it's going to make these campuses stronger. Right. From a facilities standpoint, it's going to continue to push flexibility. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, it's going to continue to push that focus of, is this really the right investment for us in campus? And, And ultimately, is it a an investment that's important to the donors. I think you're going to see institutions even more focused in the future on philanthropy in terms of funding projects. You're going to have to find the projects that resonate and the donors feel a personal connection with. You know, the other thing, Brian, I would say is um, we're going to continue to see programs like health sciences continue to grow. Right. Um, you know, every client we have that's that has those programs is seeing growth in there and, and investing more energy Others are starting additional programs because they see the opportunity because right now the need in our country for those professionals is so great compared to what is coming out of school. Yeah, and that was, uh, I learned pre-pandemic that, that it was a crisis. Finding people to work in healthcare has always been an issue. You know, the, the other thing I would probably add as a trend that we see out there, Brian, is, and, and this came up in a recent roundtable we conducted with leaders as well, is that importance of brand messaging on campus. Right. And, and we talked earlier in the session about that authenticity of the online experience, the in-person. And, and part of that key is, you know, how are you really branding the campus? How are you communicating with students, immersing them in the campus brand, the value proposition, and making that a place where students want to constantly be, right, and, and feel connected to? That first time they step on campus, they'll say, I imagine myself being here. Yeah, And then they enroll and and successfully graduate at some point because that campus was able to retain them and help them be academically, socially uh, successful. See themselves in the story. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. We were able to talk to a couple of participants from that roundtable recently, and we're going to have a podcast about that soon. But yeah, they, we spoke very specifically about the brand experience and how they're creating things like, what was the thousand days? You're going to be on campus for a thousand days. How are you going to make each day special? And it really was everywhere you go is a part of that experience. And then the people are a big part of the brand experience as well. So it's like, how do you get the message unified where everybody understands and is part of the story? And Yeah, that's exciting. I think the other thing that came out of a recent actually survey we did around chief academic officers was when we asked if you could invest in one facility right now on campus, where would you put the greatest need? And they came back with housing, which I think is very telling of kind of the era we're in right now. Housing is continuing to be a need because there is such an aging stock of, of housing out there, and, and that's what they see either attracting or, or, or not in terms of student visits and, and retaining students. They're, they're seeing comments come back on the quality and experience of housing. Yeah, and part of that quality and experience is that also like air quality, you know, from a health and wellness perspective and daylight and all that fun stuff? I think stuff. it's it, all the above. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely everything from the aesthetics, how sustainable is the building, what type of amenity space does it have for students to hang out. I think people have really had a renewed focus on the environment they're living in, right? And right. what can I do to improve it? Cool. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, 2021 in the Rearview: the higher education market with Paul Orban, higher education market leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.